Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And those words of Psalm 119, verse 105, remind us in many ways of the powerful guidance the Word of God provides us and how that day by day we can use those passages and those teachings from God's Word to order our life in the best way here and the only way to look forward to hereafter. It's so good to be together this Lord's Day morning. Thankful are we for not only this congregation, but every single person that's come our way today, our membership and all of our visitors and guests alike. You warm our heart as you have expressed interest in the things of truth today to come and be with us. To all the mothers, as we have already made mention today, we wish for you a very happy Mother's Day. And I hope the lesson today will in some way be a motivation not only for mothers, but for all of us to reflect on wise and godly living. If you'd be turning to 2 Timothy 1, that was the text that was read just a moment ago, and we'll be spending the bulk of our time in that given place today, verses 5 and 6 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. As we begin our study, you'll notice that I've entitled it A Mother and Her Children, and these opening statements are very brief and introductory in character. The Bible makes mention of the law of thy mother. I suppose sometimes we do think about father and laws that father may in fact place into the character of the family, but may we not forget mothers, the Bible says, may well have laws as well. And we as dutiful children are admonished to obey the law of your mother. Youngsters, be mindful of your mother. Obey them as they lead and guide you in the ways of God. For quite often their influence will be a lasting memorial through your life as we're about to see in the life of a man named Timothy this morning. It is with that in mind that today, as Mother's Day, is the day on the calendar set aside to honor them, but certainly as those that would please God, we would never wish to restrict it to just one day out of the year. For the opening part of the lesson today, let's reflect on Timothy's family, shall we? And by that I mean, what do we know about the circumstances that would have comprised Timothy's family? The Bible tells us enough information that the following things are well to be noted. I've asked you to appreciate them with me. We first encounter Timothy in Acts, the 14th chapter. In fact, I mention it that way, although his name is not mentioned until two chapters later. But we learn about where he lived. Timothy lived in that area of Asia Minor known as Lystra and Derby. Now those were joint cities not that far apart, and Timothy lived in that given area. As you can see on the slide, we quickly appreciate that on the first missionary journey, Paul came through that area with Barnabas, and it may well be that that's the first time then that Timothy would have heard the gospel, or at least become powerfully in such a position to face it. You'll notice, furthermore, we quickly note this. Next on the slide is this interesting observation. Timothy's mother. We know she was a Jewish woman. The text informs us of that much. That means that she was schooled in and highly apprised of the matters of Judaism. She perhaps had known, lived by the code of those matters for at least some portion of her life. But might you note this, the Bible quickly says she was a believer. There came a point in time wherein she came to realize then that this matter of Judaism and the Jewish faith had given way to a superior law. 
It was the law of Christ. She had given up that conviction in Judaism in the sense of following it as the law of God, and she now convicted herself into the true following of Jesus Christ. One must be amazed, at least impressed at that. Have you known individuals in life who maybe were reared in one kind of style or way of thinking, but once that person learned the truth, they left behind that former way of life. They gave themselves over in determination and devotion to following which they now appreciated as truth. It would appear that that could well be said regarding Timothy's mother. As Cale read that text a moment ago, you may notice her name is given to us. Eunice. That name literally means good victory. And isn't that an interesting meaning for that name? Good victory. Maybe nextly on that slide might you note this with me. What do we know about Timothy's father? On the whole, relatively little. The Bible doesn't say a lot about his father. What it does say is what I've listed for your consideration. Timothy's father is said to have been a Greek. That's typically the Bible's way of stating that he was not, of course, of, Jew of Jewish background. So Timothy's mother, Eunice, was married to a non-Jewish man. Now that kind of situation reminds us we aren't even told what his name was. We do not know. But we do know this, in the sense that he was a Greek that apparently did not bring in Timothy's mother the fact she gave up teaching, tutoring, and instructing him in the way of right. Nextly on that list, what about his grandmother? Her name is given, and we learn some interesting things. Could I direct your attention back to verse 5 of 2 Timothy 1? When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, her name was Lois. As you can see on the slide, that particular word Lois means agreeable. Now, other than those features, do you notice one other thing? And the Word of God, by way of the Holy Spirit's presentation, has cast an emphasis on the following. I read it, but it's easy to pass by it, so may I call your attention to it. It said that this unfeigned faith dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois. Now, beyond that, there are many particulars that one might imagine, but at least it appears that the usage of the word first would suggest this. This faith that Timothy now enjoyed, this faith that was real and genuine and authentic, this faith that was on target with terms of conviction and determination, it not only had dwelt in Eunice, Timothy's mother, it first dwelt. Not that it just dwelt, but first in Grandmother Lois. It would appear whatever her previous background in life had been, whatever religious training she had had, once she came to appreciate the truth, and once she heard about the nature of the Christ, the matter of the church, and all that would go with it, she adopted that, shared it with her child Eunice, and it came to dwell in Timothy as well. The word first says a great deal, doesn't it? It's so easy, isn't it, to simply follow along what dad and mom or grandparents may well have believed and done. And when one learns the truth, to abandon that or at least leave it behind in terms of conviction 
and give one's heart 100% to following the things that one then understands to be true, that is a nobility to be sure. It had happened to Lois, and she had thus instilled those matters in her child Eunice, and now they also dwelt in Timothy. One last thing on that slide is this. We have learned a bit about Timothy's family as far as where and some of the particulars of his father and mother and grandmother. But now what about several observations? The next slide will at least begin our journey through those considerations like this. Based on this text, what are some things then that a godly mother will do, some things characteristic of her livelihood and behavior, some things that will very powerfully be a direction for her life and that of her family. Let's note the first one. We've already highlighted it, but could we now say this? One of the challenges, and yea, one of the blessings that come with a godly mother, and this woman devoted to matters in truth, is that she will not only herself appreciate an unquestioning authority in the Bible, she will instill that in her family. Look at the way it happened before us in this text. A respect for the Word of God. I've asked you to note this verse. Hold your finger there and turn over. In my Bible, it's the next page. But chapter 3, verse 15 of 2 Timothy, that verse reads as follows. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. As Paul directed these words to Timothy, he rather directly said this to him, From a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures, Timothy. Now may I ask, who would have been the principal agent in this? Probably not dad. Now we certainly hope that it may well have come to the time that that would have been a contributing factor, but almost certainly based on chapter 1, that would have largely rested upon Eunice and Lois. But did you know what they did? It says, Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. They took the liberty, and yea, took the consideration to implant in young Timothy the nature of respect for the Word of God. And oh, look how that turned out. We'll have more to say about that in just a minute. But could we at least note the following? To instill a respect for the Word of God. It is so often the case that we are surrounded by forces which in fact tend to lessen respect for the authority of the Word of God. That you can in fact substitute thinking of men in place of it, or at least augment it with the thinking of men. But Lois and Eunice didn't see it that way. The Roman Empire was an empire known in many ways for its humanity in the sense of pursuing things that were regarded as that which was appropriate from a cultural standpoint. Eunice and Lois didn't approach it this way. They used the Scriptures as that guide for young Timothy, for not only their own way of life, but for his. A godly mother will still do that. She will see in this book the unquestioning consideration of always what is right. End of story never trying to substitute what the Bible says for the way that she or others may think. Aren't we then impressed with Eunice? Aren't we impressed with Lois in that regard? 
Surely in that connection, you might note this. When did this begin? Could I call your attention to the word the Holy Spirit used? It said from a child. Other translations read that babe. From a baby. Eunice and Lois had began to instill in Timothy respect for the Word of God from a baby. Now that again has much to remind us about the character of what wisdom generally is. We shouldn't wait until they're a teenager to suppose that we may influence them rightly then. We shouldn't wait until they're age 9 or 10. We shouldn't wait until they're age 8 or 9. From a babe, they had been involved in the instilling in young Timothy the features characteristic of respect for the Word of God. Today, today, may I say we as husbands and men could learn a great deal from that too, but notice what Lois and Eunice did. Isn't it fair to say that that word babe is used in the Bible to mean not only a young child, but quite frankly, what you and I would recognize as a baby. Because in Luke one forty one, it's used that way. It is in that regard, perhaps a little poem might well be in order. A poem that to some extent does at least remind us of the sense of this idea. I do not know the author of the poem, but it's entitled Before He's One. Before your child comes of seven... Teach him well the way to heaven. Better still, before he's five, in that way the faith will thrive. Notice we've gone from seven to five. Listen to the next verse. It now says, Better still, when at your knee he learns it when he's only three. One last stanza. Best of all, if it's to be seen before he's one, those things are then before he's one. Maybe it's fair to say that that little poem at least points out that best to highlight the nature of conviction in the Word of God early, early in life. You'll never regret it. Those truths, those matters instilled at that age will be remembered throughout life and in so doing can always be a thing upon which the youngster will grow to rely upon to think about, to use the guidance provided in it. This opening observation then has been about instilling the nature of the Word of God. And one last thought, that doesn't just mean tell it to them. It doesn't mean just tell it to them. Did you notice? This unfeigned faith is the way that Paul described it. That's a faith that's real, authentic, and genuine Timothy had seen it exemplified in them. It's not that they had merely told him about the authority of the Word of God. He'd seen it in their life. And so it is that that leads us to observation number two. It is a matter of of developing that unfeigned faith specifically like this. Back to chapter 1. It said, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, It is to be noted, Timothy had an unfeigned faith, a faith that was real and genuine. But Paul was quick to comment, it didn't first dwell in you, Timothy. It was first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. 
And so that unfeigned faith that he had seen modeled in them brings us to this next observation. Isn't it easy to see this? Your children, our children, are around us a lot. Now, there are other people that we can fool. There are those whom we can masquerade before, and they can think something different of us than what we really are. But our children are not in that situation. They see us early in the morning. They see us late at night. They see us throughout various days of the week. They are around us, and so they can spot hypocrisy without any trouble. They know whether we are on Sunday the way we are on Monday or not. They know whether we interact with others on a Friday similarly to the way we do on Wednesday night. And if they see hypocrisy, it's no wonder they have little interest in what we call our faith. That's not what Timothy saw. He saw an unfeigned faith in both mother and grandmother. And as we develop that point, isn't it a great motivation for us that those that we would wish to influence as much as anybody else, our children, that they see in us that wholesome and sound attitude and lifestyle that would be a great blessing not only to themselves, but to all others whom they might themselves influence. Back to the verse, Lois and Eunice. We don't know a lot else about them, but we can infer the ideas we've stated today. And could I say that as a godly mother, you are a tremendous blessing, not only to your husband, to your children, but yea, to so many others in life who've been blessed to be influenced by you. Because there is no way of life better, more noble, or greater than the way of Christ. And so to every godly mother, we would wish to say thanks to you. But you'll notice in this way, look at what an impact that had upon young Timothy. We do not know if Timothy had brothers or sisters. We do not know much else about the particulars of his family, but look at what happened to him. You'll see on that slide... This by itself is a highlight to one of the issues, isn't it? That is, in many ways, a very great problem in our day. It is the case, isn't it, that a youngster from an early age, oh, dad and mom, may take that child to church services. In essence, making him or her go. And months turn into years, and years will turn into a decade or so. And all the while, the child went simply because dad and mom made the child go. But there will come a time in life, there will come a point wherein that youngster will need to decide, do I believe this or not? Do I have conviction in what I've heard all these Sundays and all these services? Have I seen in dad and mom that they really believe it? If not, the chances are better than half that the child's not going to give much conviction to it either. And so they may finally go off to college and their faith will be a long-lost memory. What a sadness. In part, the faith never became personal. All the while they went, it was the faith of dad and mom that was a part of it, but that faith never became their own. It's critical that we own our faith. And our children will see it. Do they see in dad and mom that they have a personal conviction belief in this? 
that they really would give their life in deference to it. If a child sees that, that will be an overwhelming incentive and motivation that they too will come at a fairly early age to understand the prestige and power of it. It would seem that Lois and Eunice had sufficiently manifested and demonstrated that it became a powerful cog in the element of Timothy's life. You'll notice about the middle of that slide, a number of passages remind us of the needfulness of the personal character of our faith. Do you recall the apostles at one time said, Lord, increase our faith. It wasn't enough to rely upon merely the faith of the Christ. They wanted their faith to increase. If we want our children's faith to increase, if we want their faith to mature and to grow, they must see in us, mothers and fathers, those committed to an unfeigned faith themselves. That sweet message itself allows to close that slide like this. Look at verse number 8 of 2 Timothy 1. Be not thou therefore ashamed of me, of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. After just mentioning about the reality of Lois and Eunice, Paul used the word therefore in verse number 8. Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel or of anything that comes because of it. Even if it requires affliction, even if it brings challenge and difficulty, you be committed to it. Don't you suppose that he had seen it in his mother and grandmother, and he would even be more strongly influenced to do the same? Apparently, the usage of the word therefore would suggest it. At the very least, this second observation takes us to a third one. This third observation is verse number 7. I didn't read that one before, but may I do so now? Starting in verse 6, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. After mentioning Lois and Eunice, and the genuine faith that he had and that they had, he said, Wherefore? Here is a matter that follows from that, or at least goes along with it. Timothy, may I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God. Stir it up. I've entitled it this way. Lesson three, stir up the gift of God. A godly mother will then encourage her children to stir up the gift of God in them. Now you may wonder exactly what does that mean and what implications might it have. On the slide, I ask you to develop a few of them with me. Doesn't it surround the issue of a life in service to the God of heaven? In essence, Paul writing to Timothy said, Use your skills, your talents, and in particular those matters that came about by laying on of my hands to you. So clearly, he was referring to this miraculous matter which was possible in that day. Timothy used that unfeigned faith to develop the employment of these in a way to stir up the gift of God. Serve other people as you carry out the message of the gospel. 
Timothy did that, didn't he? He became a preacher of the gospel in the city of Ephesus. He labored for some amount of time in the church there. How many souls will ultimately reach heaven in part because of his preaching or at least his work in that locale? Only eternity will tell us that answer. But isn't it true that Paul urged him, stir up the gift of God? A godly mother today is going to encourage her children in light of service. Use your skills in such a way to benefit the kingdom of God. That might well be encouraging a young son toward being an elder, a deacon, a preacher. Or if not that, in any way connected to serving in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what a blessing and it's the best life of all to a young girl to encourage her to develop the necessary skills to herself be a godly mother one day and to, in fact, influence and lead her family in all the ways that would be appropriate and right. It is true that, oh, what an influence she can and does have. We have seen that exemplified in Lois and Eunice. You'll notice in Philippians 2 verse 19, much was said about the arena of service highlighted in the life of Timothy. We just noted a moment ago that Timothy was here urged and said to have an unfeigned faith. Later on, Paul would commend him like this. As he wrote to the church in Philippi, I don't have anybody like Timothy who cares so urgently and so compassionately for you. Timothy cared for people. He loved to, in fact, serve them and benefit them in the ways the gospel would permit. And a godly mother today will still encourage her children to be those who serve the Lord. Because what greater service is there than that? All of us are encouraged to serve the Lord, admittedly. All of us are. So these admonitions are not just for a mother. But isn't it sweet to see them exemplified in an unfeigned way in the life of a woman who not only can be such a blessing to her husband, but to all of those who call her mother. Today, of course, is a day we would honor mothers, and certainly Lois and Eunice, their names have been written now for almost 2,000 years as the names of women who impacted mightily the life of a young man named Timothy and who occupied a part to play in motivating him to serve the Lord in such a dramatic way. Personal question for each of us, are we then giving of ourselves in such a way that we're motivating those who know us so closely to serve the Lord, to do so with faithfulness, to do so with earnestness, soundness, and conviction? This third lesson allows us to close this lesson with at least a statement of conclusion. It reads like this. Today is not just one day out of a year, but hopefully one among all the others wherein we honor Mother. And we do so because we're thankful for what she has done and continues to do. But without a doubt, the Bible lifts so highly the role, the work, the influence of a godly mother... We've looked at three lessons based upon Lois and Eunice. Lessons in which she instills a respect for the Word of God in her children. Not only that, she models an unfeigned faith. 
And finally, she encourages them to stir up the gift of God among them. Today, might we be thankful for lessons like that because how wholesome and good they are. And may we use them not only today, but every day. At this point, perhaps another personal question. Are you a faithful Christian? Are you a faithful Christian? Don't you know your mother would encourage you to appreciate and to follow the truth? And that would mean thus becoming a faithful Christian. And it could be that today you've reached that point in life of knowing that needfulness. Don't delay another day. Time is too short. Life is too uncertain. Today's the day of salvation, to borrow the wording of 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. If you need to obey that gospel to become in Christ, as a youngster, it would help prepare you. For instance, as a young girl, that'll help you become the wonderful wife and mother you one day might be. It is something you'll never regret. To believe in Jesus, to repent of your sins, to confess His name as the Son of God and to be baptized, what a glorious set of events if you have known the blessedness of that. But as of today, you aren't faithful. And this isn't just for women, of course, but any of us. If faithfulness is not what is a descriptive word for you today, it is not the Lord that moved. You did. You chose to walk away. You rebelled against Him. You made a set of decisions at one point that perhaps have amplified over time and have brought you to a place or you've lived in a way that's brought shame upon the name of Christ. It's brought reproach upon what the church stands for. It's brought a separation between you and maybe those that you love and those that so much love you. Don't you want to come back to a place of faithfulness? Because there's where the Lord wants you. There's where God wants you. And there's where all the blessings of eternity are to be found. Today, if we could assist in that way, all the Lord asks of you and demands of you is repent of those sins. Make a change concerning them. Confess the nature of them, and He's promised to forgive them, and we'd be delighted to pray on your behalf. If today we could do that, any of these things, why don't you let us know? We're about to stand and sing the song of encouragement, and if at this time, song 95, you would wish to come, do it at once while together we stand and while we sing.